I've been a pastor for uh, 15, 16 years now. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting. You know, pastors love Christmas and Easter. Probably because everybody wants to come at Christmas and Easter. And so this is exciting, you know, when the room is full of people. Um, the challenge, though, is for the pastor to think, okay, it's Easter or it's Christmas, and now I've got to tell the Easter story or the Christmas story. The problem is I know it very well. The other problem is you know it very well. And so the temptation for a pastor is to think, okay, it's Christmas Eve, and people are expecting to hear the Christmas story. That's what the night is all about. So we've got to talk about the birth of Jesus but what can I do to really get people's attention? And so pastors feel like, well, maybe if I go in on roller skates, that'll get everybody's attention. Or maybe if I do some magic tricks or do some juggling, hey, that'll be the thing that really gets people's attention. And I really started thinking about this a couple of years ago, and it hit me that it's ridiculous for me or any other pastor to feel like we have to make the Christmas story more interesting or even more unbelievable than it already is. It's the story about God climbing into our skin and living amongst us as a human being, not so that he could get to know us because God is our creator. He already knows us. He's intimate with us. The Bible says that God can count the very hairs that are on our head. He knows everything there is to know about him. God jumped into our skin in the person of Jesus and dwelt amongst us so that we could get to know him. That's amazing, isn't it, Greg? He was born to a virgin, lived amongst us a perfect, sinless, blameless life. Then he gave up his life freely. Has anybody ever died for you? He, he died on a cross, a horrible death, but then was resurrected from the grave he's alive now and because of the whole story not just the birth part not just the death part but because of the whole story we can have eternal life how could i make that any more interesting than it already is so i'm not going to try to make it more interesting instead i'm just going to give you the christmas story but what may be different about the things that i say about it tonight is that i'm going to tell you what it means because what I also know is that not only are we familiar with the story, but most of us, while we know what the story is, we don't know what the story means. So tonight, before you walk out of here, I'm going to make sure that you know what the Christmas story means. There's no verses in your bulletin. There's not going to be any verses up on the screen. No notes to fill in. I'm just going to give it to you right here. Luke chapter 2. And uh, I'm not even going to read this out of the Bible. This will be not the King James Version, but the King Jimmy Version. Because my name's Jimmy. Anyway, I'm not a king. Anyway, Luke, who was writing his gospel for people who were not a part of the Jewish faith. And so they didn't have a religious tradition or background to draw from in the story. He just starts talking to pagans. So here, here's, here's the thing. Not the motorcycle club either, guys. This is a different group of pagans. People who are godless, didn't know God at all. Maybe I'm talking to you tonight. Maybe you're um, here tonight and you've never been to church. You've never heard the gospel of Jesus. Well, good news. Good news because Luke wrote his gospel for you. 
And he says that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that everyone should go into his own hometown to register for a census. And from time to time, kings and governors would register up all the people. They would count everybody so they could figure out what the tax base would be like so that they can um, figure out if they have enough money to go out and expand their territory and start new wars. So Joseph took Mary, his espoused wife, which is the same as saying that they're all but married. They're promised. They're in a legally binding contract. She was heavy with child, and they went to Bethlehem. Bethlehem in Hebrew is Bethlehem. Bet means the house of, and Lechem means bread, which is ironic that Jesus is called the bread of life, and he was born in a place called the house of bread. They went to Bethlehem, and while they were there, the days were accomplished, and Mary brought forth her firstborn child, a son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, which is the same as grave clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were afraid. And can you imagine? You know, we, um, and I, sometimes I hate saying this kind of stuff because I sort of ruin people's Christmas cards or the image that they have of Christmas. But most of us, when we think about the major scene and Jesus being born and all that stuff, we have this um, scene, Beverly, of this beautiful little stable in Vermont somewhere or somewhere in Connecticut. It's a little barn and there are little, you know, there's angels around that really are pretty blonde women with wings on and a halo. And that's not the scene at all. These angels that are appearing to the shepherds, they are fierce, supernatural beings, and they're always mentioned in a masculine um, tone in the Scriptures. And they were fierce-looking creatures. And so the shepherds were afraid. But the angel said, fear not. And by the way, there are 365 fear nots or don't be afraids in the Bible, one for every day. Some of you came in tonight and you're afraid, you're worried, you don't know what's going to happen in the election in the next year, you don't know what's going to happen with the economy. God says over and over again through the Scriptures, don't be afraid, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which is for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a heavenly host. There were angels filling the sky and they were saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. It's a nice story, isn't it? What does it mean? Here's what it means. I told you guys last Sunday that God is the one who started giving gifts. He gives us four gifts through Jesus at Christmas. And here's what they are. The first one is just good news. God gives us good news. In first century Palestine, there wasn't a lot to be hopeful for. If you were a Jewish person, if you were these shepherds out in the field, there was not a lot to be happy about or hopeful for. There was a foreign government that dominated the land. Rome, uh, the, the Romans... Uh, Israel was not the homeland of the Romans, but they had came in and taken it over. 
and they had um, put in their own rule there. And so for the Romans, maybe it was a good time, but not if you were the people of God, not if you were the children of Israel, not if you were a Jewish person. Maybe if you were the high priest or one of the high religious guys and you'd cut a sweet deal with the Roman government, maybe you had an okay life. But the shepherds, Mary, Joseph, their life was full of worry. There wasn't a lot of hope or good things happening in their lives. And in the midst of the darkness, God brought good news. You know, we have some pretty dark days going on right now in our country, don't we? If you watch CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or whatever your label is, they never talk about all the good things, do they? It's all the bad that we're bombarded with. There's wars everywhere. There are people who are starving, people who are hungry. Needs are everywhere. It's still a dark world. That doesn't mean that everything's wrong with it. It doesn't mean that everything is not good in our lives, but there's a lot of dark, isn't there? In the midst of the darkness in first century Palestine, and in the midst of the darkness on December 23rd, 2011, God brings us good news. Part of the good news is the second thing that God gives us at Christmas time, and that's the gift of joy. The angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings, which is good news, of great joy. You know, we, we are finishing up a series from the book of Philippians right now on Sundays. It's simply called Joy. And one of the things that we've learned about joy is that most people confuse joy and happiness. And they're not the same things, are they? Happiness is an emotion. And happy um, is something that we feel when all the externals in our lives are right. For example, if everything's okay in our relationships, then we can be happy. If everything's okay on our job, then we can be happy. If we've got enough money, if we can buy everything we want for Christmas, or if we receive everything we want for Christmas, then we can be happy. But that all depends on the externals. Joy is all about what's going on the inside of your life. And a person experiences joy when they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want you to stay with me here. Don't be distracted. Some of you feel like you don't have a reason to have joy in your life this year because you're lonely. Some of you feel like you don't have a reason to have joy this year because there's somebody missing in your family. This is going to be the first Christmas that you've experienced without the child that you lost earlier this year. Some of you are going to be having Christmas this year for the first time as a single mom or a single dad because you had to bury a marriage this year. For some of you, it's going to be the first Christmas without your mother or your father. 
And so you're hurting because of that. I know what that's like. We have some good friends that just came back from Disney World, and we were talking about it the last few days and um, talking about Christmas, you know, and how it's uh, right now Disney World is all decorated for Christmas and those kind of things. I said, you know, it's, it's funny. I've been to Disney at Christmas or around the Christmas season a couple of times in my life, but the worst Christmas my family ever had was a Christmas at Disney World. 1980, my grandmother, my mother's mother, died with Alzheimer's disease. And our family's a big one, but we're close. And holidays are a big deal. We all get together, no matter where you're having to come from, we all gather up. And it was going to be my mom's first Christmas without her mother. And she just couldn't bear to go to the house and all of us to gather up without my grandmother. So we just sort of escaped. That's my word, not hers. But we just sort of escaped the holiday that year and went to Orlando and realized in Orlando that really we should have been back all gathered up in a farmhouse in Union County with the rest of our family. But I I know what it's like to sit at a table and someone that you love and care for is missing. Some of you have kids that are soldiers. And they seem like they're a world away in a place you've never been and fighting a war that maybe you can't even get your mind around. And so you'll spend all day Christmas thinking about them and worried about them. Because of Jesus, it doesn't matter what the circumstances of our lives are because we can really have joy. It doesn't matter what the balance is in your bank account. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter who's missing even. You may not be happy about some things, but you can still have joy. The third thing that God gives us through Jesus at Christmas is the gift of inclusion or access. My favorite story, well, it's my second favorite story. My first favorite story is a story of Jesus and his conversation with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. But my second favorite story is a story right here of the birth announcement of Jesus by the angels to the shepherds. You know, when we think about the shepherds, what, what, are, what are the images that most of us have? We have images of these sweet little men who work with lambs, and, you know, we just sort of imagine them in our mind, and we see this full-grown man, and he's got a little lamb maybe draped over his neck, and it's so sweet. Or, or some of us, we have images of shepherds and their little, their little boys and they're wearing a bathrobe and they've got mama's towel on and they're in the Christmas cantata and they walk in, you know, with the cane or the shepherd staff or something. And we think, oh, look at those shepherds. Aren't they sweet? And so when we read the Christmas story, we think of it the same way. All oh, those shepherds, I bet they were really sweet guys. You know, sort of like Mr. Rogers used to be on the Mr. Rogers show. And so it seems like a nice story, and what a really sweet thing for the angels to announce to a group of these sweet shepherd men that the Messiah of God has come. But here's what may change the story. It may change the story if you know a little bit more about these shepherds. They were not sweet little guys. They were not sweet, kind men. They worked with those sheep because that's how they made a living. 
But these guys were like real cowboys, Brian. You're from Texas. You're a cowboy. You live in Charlotte, but I know you're a cowboy at heart, real cowboy. These guys are real cowboys. But I mean like the throwback to the outlaw cowboy days. I mean when the West was really wild. These guys were unpredictable. They cursed. They drank too much. They gambled. They ran around with loose women. I'm sorry that some of you are going to have to explain that some of the smaller ones in here later. But that's who these guys were. And you know what they were infamous for? I bet you've never heard this in church before. These guys were infamous for stealing children and selling them in the black market or selling them in slavery. These are bad guys. They're rough and tumble. But again, it's no accident that God sent the birth announcement to these men. These men were not welcomed anywhere. They were on the bottom of everybody's social totem pole. Because of what they did for a living, they were ritualistically unclean, so they couldn't go and worship with the people of God. And because of their profession and some of the things that they did and the fact that they were so loose in their living, they were not culturally accepted. So they created their own culture and they just stuck to themselves and they felt excluded like they had been exiled. God goes to those men and says, listen up, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you. It was as though before these shepherds could say, oh, for all people, that means those guys, the angel says, unto you. And before you can say, oh, Jesus is for the person next to me, the angel says, unto you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then he doesn't stop there. It's not like he's just announcing it. He gives them directions. He uses God's GPS, and he says, this is how you'll find him. This is a sign unto you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, which were grave clothes. A mama wouldn't just wrap her baby in grave clothes. Why would you do that? It seems morbid, but that's how you'll find him. And he's in a manger, not a little wooden trough, but a stone manger that cattle would eat out of. And this will be a sign unto you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The message to them and the message to us is because of Jesus, we are included. You, me, we have access to God. I was thinking about this message the other night when I was flying out of the Orlando airport, and I think I told one of the services this on Sunday, but I'll, I'll tell it again just for everybody else's benefit. The plane was about 20 minutes late, and when a plane is late, that means everybody's early. And so usually you don't necessarily get to see who you're going to be on the plane with. You see a few people here and there, but you're not really paying attention. But when you walk up to your gate and everybody's standing there waiting to load on the plane, you get to see everybody who's standing there. And there were about 20 pagan guys from the motorcycle club. And I just started thinking, man, this could really be good right here. Lord, please sit me near these guys so I can talk to them. I mean, I'm not worried about them. They just had to go through security checks. They don't have any guns, no knives. This is the perfect time to talk to these guys about Jesus, right? 
And I've been hanging out with some outlaws and some pub runners and other guys like that too. I'm not afraid of motorcycle clubs anymore. Inside joke. I didn't get to sit near them. But I wanted to tell them, you know, you guys are included in this Jesus story. I don't know what you think about Jesus, but Jesus could have hung out in a bar and you guys wouldn't have tried to run him away. In fact, Jesus got in trouble all the time with religious leaders because he was hanging out in places where religious people didn't think he ought to be. Jesus was a construction worker. He was a tough guy. He was rough and tumble. Real men felt comfortable being around him. You guys get to be a part of the Jesus story. And that's what the angel meant when he went to the shepherds and said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You are included in this thing that God is doing in the world, in this person called Jesus. You get to participate. I want to make sure you get that tonight. I want to make sure that you know that you are included in the salvation story of God. Because of Jesus, you can have access to God. He's not just for the nice people anymore. He's not just for the religious people. He's for all people, even rough and tumble guys like those shepherds. And then when the whole chorus of them are together, they say, in peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's the fourth gift that God gives us at Christmas. Sounds like a pipe dream, doesn't it? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Sounds like something Alabama would sing in a Christmas song or something maybe Bing Crosby would have sang in the 50s and 60s or some crooner sings in a nice little Christmas CD, but come on, really? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I mean, have you not been to Concord Mills on Christmas Eve? Or Christmas Eve Eve? I felt like I was at the fourth layer of hell today when I walked in gate number four, neighborhood number four. So what does he mean, peace on earth? It doesn't necessarily mean peace with one another. What it means is that now you can have peace with God. Because of our sin, we are all at odds with God. And because of Jesus, we can be forgiven of the thing that causes division between us and God so that we're not warring against God anymore, but we can have peace with Him. You'll never have any peace in your life until you have peace with God. You'll not have peace with your spouse or your ex-spouse or your kids or your neighbors or with anybody else until you have peace with God. Do you have peace in your life tonight? Do you have peace with God? Do you know how to have peace with God? Let me tell you. The way you have peace with God is, number one, you admit that you need Him. 
There's not a person in this room tonight who doesn't need God. We all need God. And so having peace with Him just it means that we admit that we need Him. The second thing we do is that we admit that we're sinners. Again, there's not a person in this room tonight or a person listening to this message on our podcast who is not a sinner. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious ideal for our lives. And then the third thing we do is just believe and have faith in what Jesus says in John 14, 6. Where Jesus said to his disciples then and those who would follow him today, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except that he come by me. If you want to have peace in your life, you can have it starting tonight. But it means admitting that you need God. You just admit that right now. You don't have to admit it out loud, but we just admit it to yourself and to God. And now will you just admit to yourself and to God what all of us have to come to terms with, and that is that we're sinners and we all need a Savior. And then will you believe that Jesus is that Savior? And not just a baby that's been stuck in a manger for 2,000 years. But the Jesus who grew into a man who lived a perfect, blameless, sinless life. Who died on the cross and offered himself up for the forgiveness of our sins. That three days later was resurrected from the grave. He's alive now and one day he will come and rapture his church away. Will you have a childlike faith to believe in that Jesus? Let's stand together. You would just bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to be serious right now with God. Have you come to terms with the fact that you need God? Are you willing to admit that right now? Are you willing to admit that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior? And now will you just believe and have faith? Maybe not with all the answers. Maybe you still have questions. But will you accept by faith right now that Jesus is who He says He is, who the Scriptures say He is, who the church say that He is, and billions of people over the last 2,000 years, and that is that He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And if you're willing to believe that, will you pray and invite Him into your life right now? In fact, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to know who I'm praying with. And so if you'll just slip your hand up right now to say, I'm praying to invite Jesus into my life right now. Will you just hold your hand up? Nobody's looking around but me. You can put those back down right now. 
Just know that when you pray, you're praying with people all over this room who are inviting Jesus into their life right now. So just pray this prayer with me. Just between you and God, say, God, right now, I'm crossing the line from unbelief to belief. And maybe you would just admit to him right now, I don't have all the answers about who you are. I don't know everything I need to know about the Bible, but I know this. And just confess this to him. Just say, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I need a Savior. And now just say, God, I'm believing in your son Jesus as Savior. And so now just say this. Just say, Jesus, in the best way I know how, I invite you to come into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. I accept you as my Savior by faith. Now just say, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Listen, if you made the decision tonight to follow Jesus, we want to help you with next steps. And so if you'll take your connection card and sometime before you leave, you don't have to be in a big hurry to go. There's not a service full of people coming in behind you. Just take a minute and fill out that connection card and somewhere on the front or the back, just write a B and we'll know that that means that you are believing today and we'll help you this week get started with your next steps and help get you off on the right foot. And God bless you. I, I know every head was bowed, but guys, there were about 30 people in this room that raised their hands to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Isn't that awesome? I want to ask you to remain standing, and we're going to keep you guys up for just a couple of minutes. But um, we're going to have the candle lighting portion of our service. So I want to go ahead and ask if our... Um, if our singers will come up, I'm not going to get down on the floor right now, but I want to ask for our singers to come to the stage and also ask our staff if they would to come to the front. They're going to help me a little bit here. Folks, here's what I would ask you to do with, uh, with the candles. If you don't trust your child with the candle lit, we don't either. In fact, some of you are trusting your kid with the candle, and I don't. But we're going to let you police that, and we'll let you decide if they're old enough to hold one or not. We're going to kill most of the lights in the room and we're going to share a candlelight here. And I want to share this verse with you that comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke again into a dark world. He said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. 
And so we're lighting candles tonight. It represents for sure Jesus. That He's the light of the world. Many of us are lighting a candle that represents the fact that He's the light in our own lives. And I think what's powerful, and one of the things I want you to take away with this tonight, is that we have the opportunity, if not the responsibility, to share this light. There was a song that I sang as a kid, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. We're supposed to live like Jesus in a world that is dark and fallen and needs light. I heard a preacher say it this way once. We have a message for everybody in the world. If you're the butcher, baker, or the candlestick maker, you can go to the butcher and say, hey, let me tell you about the Lamb of God. To the baker, you can talk about the bread of life. And the candlestick maker, you can talk about the light of the world. As we light these candles, think about Jesus. Think about what he means in your own life. And think about the people in your life who are yet to know the light of Jesus in their lives. So we're going to sing a couple of Christmas hymns here as we light our candles, and then I'll come back and close out our service. Let's pray together. Let's pray. God, I pray that the light of this child will light our way forever. And I pray that the blessings that broke through the darkness on that night will always be ours. I pray that we would always be ready to sing praises to You and to give thanks and to celebrate the light of the world the Savior who is Jesus. Amen.